Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome. Looking forward to uh, giving a message to you today. I know I haven't been on the platform giving a message for a few weeks. I've been a little busy. Um, there's been something going on. In fact, here she is, the busyness. Uh, yeah. Oh, isn't she cute? Oh, she's so lovely. Um, <laughs> should we just stand here and look at her? It's really, it's really great having her in, in the home. Um, and I think I did really well when it came to the birth. I only fainted once. <laughs> Seriously, I fainted once. I really did. I'm really not the man you need in a time of crisis. Um, she's great, but what, actually what, I, uh, what I noticed over the last couple of weeks is whenever anybody came to visit and met her for the first time, they would say, make statements, oh, she looks just like you. And I think, oh, is, it, is it the beard? Is it the, the white? Is it? It's probably the spoon. That's what I'm yeah, definitely. But yeah, and, and whenever we see a new baby, that's what we immediately want to do. We say, oh, where, where are her eyes from? Yeah, that's, that's her grandfather's eyes, or she's got a brother's feet, she's got her mum's knees, maybe, I don't know. But, you know, we try, we try and attach label to this new thing, this new baby thing, probably shouldn't call it a thing. Um, <laughs> this, this, yeah, yeah, we attach labels straight away to this, to this new life, um, because we want to contextualize it for ourselves. And we do that all the time in life, don't we? We meet somebody new and we go, oh, they're a little bit like this person. Or I think they're like this person. They look like this person. Therefore, I, I'm more comfortable with them because I, suddenly, I think I know now how they're going to behave or react in a certain situation. We try and put them in a nice, neat box. And people, they don't really belong in neat boxes. We're not very neat. And it's, 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 it's often destructive as well, putting a label on anybody or on any section of society, we know it's, it's divisive, isn't it? It just creates separation. I know it makes it easier for us to live, but it does. It often creates division and separation. And, and that's what I want to talk about today, this, this whole idea of, of stopping dividing people, whether it's according to, to nationality or race or whether it's to do with gender or whether it's to do with uh, social status. Uh, we know that division is not really a good thing. And um, often we just can't help ourselves doing it. So the title of my... Oh, I'll take her off. I think you're probably just looking at her. Is anybody listening to me at all? Uh, uh, the title of my message today is, is Unity Begins With You. Unity Begins With And I started thinking about what I was going to talk about. And I know we've got this united uh, service coming up next week, which we're all just so excited about it. I'm made up about what we're doing at the Churchill next week. It's going to be brilliant. I can't wait to serve. I can't wait to get together with the teams, pray together, and just, just serve God and build God's kingdom in the community. It's going to be great. So unity begins with you because you, being united, it's not, we often think, oh, it's something that other people need to do. They need to work on it, or the church needs to work on being united. Actually, it begins with a decision that we make. It begins with our transforming our thinking about how we see people, transforming our thinking about how we treat people, how we re- relate to people. So that's what we're going to uh, 
uh, look at. And that's sad to admit it, but the church itself is culpable in this area of creating division. Throughout history, we know that the church has put labels on those outside of the church, just creating a sense of separation. Oh, you're not like us. You don't belong with us. You belong out there. And also, actually, within the church itself, the, the church as a whole, you've got denominations have been formed just through silly things, you know, interpretations of, of Scripture or preference, preferential way of doing things. So we think, oh, well, I, like, I want to focus on, on baptism. So me and all those other people who believe in baptism are going to meet together here. And you've got this other group, oh, I, I believe in, in the Bible as the Word of God, so I'm just going to study the Word. And, and other people like me, we're going to do that here. Oh, we're, we're, all about, we're all about worship. We're all about just praising and singing songs to God. So we're going to meet here. And you kind of build these walls around your own little group and your own way of doing things. And then you start to throw rocks at the others. Not literally, but you know what I mean? You start to think, oh, the way they're doing it is really not not quite as good as the way we're doing it. They haven't quite got the right interpretation on things. And it creates division between churches. It should never have happened. Even inside a gathering like this, you can have different opinions and strong opinions. Oh, I, I prefer contemporary, modern rock worship. I prefer traditional pipe organ worship. You know? No, maybe not. Okay. Yeah, maybe we don't prefer pipe organ. To be honest, I can't stand pipe organ. <laughs> Forgive me. I used to... Um, I, no, I'm not going to go there. No, I, used to, I, used to, I used to work for um, Technics, Technics uh, and they made organs and keyboards and pianos. And, and of course, I love playing the piano and I don't mind playing the keyboard. They're my things. But I'd go to conferences and, and, and be having to play and always... Um, the more mature people would come and they'd want me to play the organ. And I just can't bear the organs. <laughs> <You know. laughs> yeah, not my thing. So anyway, so yeah, but in, in church we know that some people do like that and, you know, and, and maybe they sneer at those who don't like it. Um, some people prefer uh, pews to chairs, would you believe? You know, because they think, oh, it's more holy to be sitting on a wooden pew than it is a chair. Oh, I don't go with that at all. Some people like short, punchy sermons. Not me. I like long, drawn-out <laughs> sermons. And I know you're all happy about that. Um, so people find a particular interpretation and they build walls around it and they create separation. They invite some people in and they exclude others and they create labels for those who are inside and those who are outside and then they seek to defend their position and trying to prove why they're right and everyone else is wrong and it just creates division. It creates animosity and separation and it's not the way it's supposed to be. We know that, right? It's not, thank you, Mark knows it. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We know that, right? There we go. And do you know that Jesus himself prayed about this? It was one of, his, one of his prayers. And this was right before he was arrested and crucified. He knew that was all coming. And right before, he's, he's got this whole long prayer going on. He's with his disciples, and he's praying this big prayer. And right at the very end of this prayer, so literally, this is minutes before he's arrested, he makes this statement. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. So he's saying, 
I'm praying, but it's not just about those who are right close to me here, my, my disciples, my immediate group. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's throwing this prayer right through time. He's saying, this is for anybody who comes after these guys who ends up believing in me. Okay, this is the prayer I'm praying for all of those people. He said that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be, also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is one of the main benefits of unity in a church, is there's blessing there, that's great, and we all have a good time being united. But actually, Jesus says, when they're united, when my believers are united, it will have an impact on those who see us. Those who are outside the church will see the unity in the church and they're going to be drawn to me. They're going to come to know me because they see you guys being united. This is a great prayer. And, and Jesus thinks it's so important. He's beseeching the Father. He's saying, Father, can you please do this? I'm desperate for unity. Because he knows that it's not going to happen naturally. He knows that our natural incl inclination is towards division and labels and separation. And um, he knew that it needed a miracle. For us to be united, he knew it needed a miracle. It needed divine intervention. Because earlier on in Scripture, he tells us that the enemy's plan is to steal and kill and destroy. So the, uh, Jesus has a mission. He gave us this mission to go and, and reach people and make disciples. But he also knows that the, the devil, the enemy, has a mission as well. And the enemy's mission is destruction. And we know that... Uh, the enemy's strategy for completing that mission is often division. And the tactics that the enemy used to create division is often pride. It's where it often falls down to, doesn't it? When we create these labels, when we're separating ourselves, when we're trying to see these different groups, it's all about pride, elevating ourselves. I'm right, I'm in the, I'm in the right, I've, I've got this right, they've got this wrong. It's pride, it's prideful, and there's no place for it. It says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace yeah. to the humble. He opposes yeah. the proud. He's against it because he knows that pride will stop unity in its tracks. Yeah. And, and I've got admitted this to the first uh, uh, service. This is an area that I struggle with myself, pride. I think probably it's a, it's a human nature thing, but you know I struggle with this when I'm, when I'm in a, a, a disagreement with somebody in my family who is through or one of the kids, I don't ever want to be wrong. Yeah? And sometimes I am. I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> but I am sometimes wrong. And even when I'm wrong, I still want to be right. You know? And, and I find it hard to admit that I'm wrong. I'll try and find reasons for the reason why, you know, this is why I'm wrong. It's not really my fault. It's something else. Somebody else. It's because you're saying this that I'm wrong. So... <laughs> Yeah, maybe you're like that too, you know? And we let, yeah, thanks, Shagan. Me and you, buddy. Um, so this pride gets in. And, and, you know, we all struggle with this. It's not God's way. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. But it's possible for us to have disagreements. We don't get rid of disagreements because that's going to happen. But disagreements don't necessarily have to mean disunity or division. We can disagree and still be united. We can want to do things different way and still be 
united. It's possible as long as we don't let this whole area of pride take a hold of us. Uh, Paul explains how, uh, when he's writing to the Philippians, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Well, that's the answer, isn't it? Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of, us, each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then it goes on further, who being in very nature God. He was God himself, made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, humbling himself to death, even death on a cross. In your relationships with one another, have that same mindset. Not elevating yourself, but humbling yourself, putting others first, putting others' preferences first. This is how we defeat pride. This is how we promote unity. We can have healthy disagreements without division. So Jesus is praying to his father before he's arrested. And the good news is, I'm glad to tell you that the father, God the father, he answered that prayer. He answered the prayer. He made the miracle. He intervened and he made it possible for us to have unity. And that's what we're going to look at for the next few minutes. Um, We can see this miracle take place right at the very start of the book of Acts, the birth of of the church as it was. And not only does God create this miracle, but he gives us a blueprint, if you like. It gives us a, a, a map showing us the way forward. When we look at this church in Acts, and particularly in Acts 2, we can see it's a model for us to go, oh, that's how. That's what's going on here. So we're going to look at the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. Jesus told his followers, he says, look, I'm, going to, I'm going back to the Father now, but you need to wait in Jerusalem, and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to get sent to you and you need to just wait for that. So that's what they're doing. Um, And we know these disciples. We read about them through the Gospels, these followers of Jesus. They weren't united. They weren't particularly, um, you know, uh, didn't particularly have unity together. Uh, We see them disagreeing with each other. They were a diverse group of guys. Jesus didn't pick people who were all the same to make it easier. He didn't do that. He had fishermen, he had tradesmen, he had a tax collector, he had uh, uh, guys who were outspoken, he had some who were more reserved. There were even uh, kind of women as part of that close group that he had. So there were lots of differences in that group, and there was lots of disagreements. They fell out, they tried to elevate themselves at times in the gospel. We see this. There wasn't, there wasn't especially unity until we read what happened in Acts. So it tells that they're, they're in the place, they're doing what Jesus said, they're staying in the upper room, and then the Holy Spirit comes on them, and we see all sorts of supernatural signs that take place. There's uh, tongues of fire, there's a, a violent wind, and then it says they start speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit uh, kind of helps them, enables them. And um, so that's happening in the upper room. And then meanwhile, the writer takes us from the upper room, he moves the narrative to outside in Jerusalem, in the town itself, And it starts to tell us what's happening in Jerusalem because it's the day of Pentecost. Lots of people from all over the world have come into Jerusalem. And even Luke lists them all. He says there are Parthians, there are Medes, there are Elamites, there are residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs. There's there's all these people. And essentially what they're saying is that there's so much potential in Jerusalem right now for division. All these nationalities, all these groups of people, different types of people together, 
we know that actually that's, that's a recipe for division and separation and animosity and labels. Um, but what happens? Um, well, obviously, we're in a society. Let me just backtrack a minute. We're in a society where um, division is kind of commonplace. We know that the Jewish people themselves divided themselves according to nationality and religion. You know, there was very much, if you're a Jew, then you're on the inside. If you're not a Jew or a Gentile, then you're on the outside. So you've got Jews and Gentiles. And then, of course, you've got the Romans approach, which was more about social status. If you're, if you're rich, if you're wealthy, you're on one, if you're a poor. If you're a, a free man, then you're on the inside. If you're a slave, you're on the outside. And then, of course, we also know that gender played a huge role in, in, in that period of time as well. If you're, a man, if you're a man, if you're male, then you've got all sorts of opportunities available that aren't, aren't there for you if you're a female. And Jesus just cut through all that. He's like, I'm not having that. I'm not having that. And actually, Paul spoke into this, writing to the Galatians, when he said, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking those are the three main things right in our society now. Most of the conflicts are all, and, and, and disagreements are all about nationality or race or religion about social status. We look at people and we say, oh, are they, you know, how much do they earn? What, what do they do for a job? What are they wearing? Are they like me? Are they not like me? Are they in the same kind of uh, group as I am? Or are they not? You know, will I relate to them? And then, of course, gender as well as being a bone of contention throughout, throughout history. He's covering it all there. So we're back to Jerusalem. We've got all these nationalities and Whereas in the upper room, we've got all the disciples together with the Holy Spirit. And then that, the disciples, come out into Jerusalem, bringing with them the Holy Spirit. And the world is never the same again. It changes everything because this is the miracle. This is the answer to Jesus' prayer, is the Holy Spirit, which makes it possible for there to be unity where before there was division. And we read that as Peter talks to the crowd... Thousands of people are touched and changed. Their lives are changed. They give their hearts to Jesus. We know that many are baptized. And then it goes on to make this statement. It says, uh, right at the end of that chapter, where you know, it's at the end of the day, there's all these thousands of people are now part of the same uh, group. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And I thought that was interesting, how they devoted themselves to fellowship. Unity begins with you. You devote yourself. It's a decision that you make yourself to fellowship. We can choose to be in fellowship with people, or we can choose to be not in fellowship. And that word fellowship is a Greek word, uh, koinonia. It just means community or partnership or working together towards something. So that's fellowship. It's, uh, they devote themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It says everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And then we get these next few sentences. All the believers were together. Together. This word together. There are many, you know, we have the word together. Uh, the Greeks had many different words that, they, that we can interpret as the word together. This particular word, it means they had a, a common purpose. 
They had a common purpose. They were united by a similar purpose. They were together. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together. This word here, together, is different again. It's being of the same mind. It's saying, okay, we're, we're united in the way we think. And it says they broke bread in their homes and they ate together. This is another word again, which actually has a connotation of, of doing life together. So they're eating together and having a united heart. One heart, one mind, one purpose. That's what all these guys had. They were praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the answer to his prayer. Jesus said, when they're united, I know that the, you know, people will see their unity and come to me. This is what's happening right there. This is the blueprint for us in that early church. Where there was unity, people find Jesus. When there's unity in the church. That's our mission. Or, you know, our mission accomplished when we are united. It becomes that much easier. So the prayer is answered in a miraculous way. The coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost gave everybody the possibility of this divine connection. Not only a divine connection to God, but a connection through the Holy Spirit to each other. We are connected to one another through the Holy Spirit's presence in us. It's really, really great and it gives us that possibility of unity it turns disconnected diverse people into a united and unified group and this is what the church should be and one of the ways in which the church is described in bible is as a family now i don't know what your family's like but in my family we have disagreements we do, and maybe you don't. Maybe it's just my family, but we do. There's lots of us in my house, and they're different of opinions. That, you know, they disagree with the way I do things, and I disagree with the way what they do things. I, you know, whether they should, what time they should come in, what time, you know, whether they should eat their dinner, eat their greens, how much phone they should play on. It's a big cause of division in, in our house often, or a disagreement, I should say, not division, because at the end of the day, we're a family. And when all said and done... Whatever disagreements we have, we're united because we are a, a family. We're united. We said, you know, blood is thicker than in water, right? That's what family is about. We can disagree, but we can still be united. When Eliza was, um, when Prue was pregnant with Eliza, uh, it was getting towards the birthing day. A lot of our children, they were, they were excited, but they were also apprehensive about another ba a baby coming into the home. We, got, you know, we already had five kids in the house. We're all busy. There's all stuff going on all the time. Uh, we kind of we stretched to the max. It felt like for the last few years we are you know pretty stretched all the time. And you know the kids were like, "What's going to happen when the baby comes?" I'm I'm worried that we're not going to have that. You know we're just going to be torn apart. And I'm like going, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen when the baby comes. It's going to be. You're right. It's going to it's going to bring a new thing into the family. But what I do know is that before when a baby has come. All those things just don't seem so important anymore. And actually, true enough, Eliza came into the house and all those concerns, they're still there. You know, Eliza does bring noise <laughs> and smells. <laughs> and, you know, she keeps me up at night and she keeps some of the kids up at night. There are, there are, there are definite things that are different in our house now. But... As soon as she was there, like, now she's family. And the kids are like, oh, we love this sister. We love her. Straight away, your heart opens up because she's family. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what families do. 
she belongs with us. We're a family. And because of that, we're united. The church is also described in Scripture as a body. And in the description, when it's talked about as a body, it's kind of emphasizing the fact that actually there are different parts of the body and everybody's different. And when we're talking about unity, we're not talking about uniformity. We're not talking about all being the same. We're talking about being different and complementary. And the Holy Spirit, we know, gives us gifts, gifts that are different and gifts that will support one another and complement one another. And that's what it means to be a body as a church. We're all needed. We're all needed. Every one of us needs to bring what we have into the mix. And we need to accept and support, encourage, and um, be glad that we're all different. And the church is also described as a temple. And this has kind of got Old Testament imagery of a, of a temple that kind of being built with bricks. But it says we are a temple with Jesus as the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. So essentially the cornerstone is the, is the, is the stone, is the plumb line, is the, is the, uh, the stone. that every, every other stone is aligned to. Because if you put the cornerstone down and you put a brick on the line to it, but then you align the next brick to the next brick and that brick to that brick and that brick to that brick. Before you know it, they're all out of alignment with the cornerstone. So what you have to do is you have to make sure that every brick throughout the whole building is in line or perpendicular or exactly 90 degrees. You know, it's in line with the cornerstone, which means if you do that, then all the other bricks will be aligned anyway with each other. And as a church, we know that we need to be, our focus needs to be on Jesus, front and center. We put Jesus right at the center of everything. He's our cornerstone. And when we do that, you know, we're not, we're not deciding ourselves the way we should live or we're not uh, thinking, oh, well, I'll go with Vlad's teaching on something. We always keep it Jesus as our, as our mark, as our marker for, for us. And when we do that, we know that when all the bricks are aligned to the cornerstone, then they will automatically align to each other anyway. There will be unity we don't want pockets of unity where, they're, where you're aligned to each other and you're aligned to each other. and you're, We want us all to be aligned together. And we can only get that when Jesus is the cornerstone. Okay, there's a whole chapter in the Bible that talks about unity uh, found in Psalm. It says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. God blesses Unity. It's important to him when we're united. And um, when there's division, we're just doing the devil's work. When we've got unity, we're doing God's work. Unity is God's blessing. So I'm just going to finish by talking about what can we do? How can we move forward? What's our response today to this idea that we need to be united? There's already a lot of unity in this church. We, you know, we're doing a lot of things well. But I just want to challenge us on a personal level. Think How can we think differently about what we're doing. Um, well, I think, first of all, I think one of the great things about being a believer is being part of a church. We can't be separate from a church. I know there are, there's some mad teaching out that says, that says oh, you don't need the church if you're, as long as you've got God. Actually, that's not God's plan. It's not God's plan. God's plan is that you're part of a body of believers uh, in community together, united. That's where God's mission is accomplished. I'm not saying you have to join this church. This is a great church. There are plenty of great churches. Even in Bromley, there are lots of great churches. Okay, Find a place where you can get involved, stuck in, united, together, be of one mind, one purpose, one heart with a group of people, and God's plan and your life will be blessed because of it. So be involved in a church. Join a small group. 
Okay? Uh, join a small group. I know this is something that I harp on about a lot because it, I think it's important. Being part of a group of people, it's hard to build relationships when, you're in a, you know, when there's hundreds. You build it and you work on building it in small group because it does take work. It takes patience and it takes effort to relate to people. And it's when you get together in groups. Jesus uh, himself said, uh, when two or three gather in my name, I am with them. Okay? We're not talking about, he doesn't say, if two or three, I am with them. But if 200, then I'm really going to show up. <laughs> okay? That's not it at all. The potential of a small group of two or three people is exactly equal to God's power. The potential of a small of two people is exactly equal to the power of God. Exactly equal. Okay, no more, no less. The potential is there because he is there with them. Jesus is there. Two or three people. So join a small group. Get involved. There's, a, there's lots of groups. Meet different times, different places, in churches, in homes. You will find somewhere that you can connect with. And you know what? You'll get to them, and some of them will wind you up, and that's good because you'll learn patience, and you'll learn, you'll learn how to, be, to find unity in that, and you will uh, laugh together a lot. You'll eat together sometimes. Sometimes you'll even cry together. You will serve together. You will sing together. We used to do that. It's brilliant to do that. You will uh, kind of hang out together. Did I say eat together? Because that's important. I love eating together. If you're leading a small group, sometimes eat together. It's great. Doing that, breaking bread together is really, really important for unity. Do it. Do it. Join a group. Um, When you're together, Jesus is with you. Anything can happen. We can be united. Okay, do we have to agree about everything? No, but we are called to be a fellowship. Okay, I saw an image of um, a cartoon image of a sinking boat. At one end of the boat, you had a load of people bailing and, and crying out, trying to stop the boat sinking. At the other end, you've got two people sat there doing nothing. And one of, the, one of these guys turns to the other one and says, I'm so glad that the hole is not in our end of the boat. Okay, you can see the problem there, can't you? This boat is sinking. There's not one end of the boat that's not going to sink, okay? It's all going down. And this is what the body and the family of Jesus is. When one of us is suffering, we can't stand there saying, I'm so glad it's not over here, that's suffering. We're all suffering. When one is struggling in an area, we're all struggling. When one is going through a bad time, it affects all of us. And that is why the, the power of small groups is finding out about that, praying together, supporting each other in practical ways as well as spiritual ways, is getting involved in one another's life, being real about the things we're going through, being real about it, opening up, warts and all, family have issues. So we deal with it together, united as a family. We don't just ignore it and hope it goes away. It's in our unity as a church that the world is going to understand the true gospel of Jesus. This is why we call the event next week United. One heart, one mind, one purpose. We want to be united. Okay, just finished uh, quickly. Uh, guys, would you mind coming up, band? Um, we need to think about changing the way we relate to each other. We need to change our thinking. Don't be transformed by the renewing of our mind, not conforming to the pattern of the world. I don't think the world has the potential for unity that the church has because they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's the miracle that that we were given so that we can have unity. So what can we do? What do we need to do? We need to be united within the local church. 
Okay, us together as BCC, we need to promote unity. We need to encourage one another. We need to be pulling in the same direction. Let's not do the devil's mission for him. Okay, we've got our own mission, and we can only do that properly when we're united. Let's be generous with each other. Let's encourage one another. The Bible says we should aim for harmony and find ways to build each other up. Find ways. We actively look for ways to do that. So uh, we change the way within the church. We we also change the way we think about. Other churches, again, I'm culpable with this, looking at other churches and thinking, oh, they're not as good as us. Okay, that's wrong. It's not the right attitude. There's room in God's kingdom for every expression of worship, ways of doing things. We don't look at other churches and say, they're not doing it quite right. We say, bless them, God. Give them fruit. Give them harvest. Make them succeed. Give them many harvests. Make them bigger than us, God, because it doesn't matter how big we are. We're all the church. We're all united together. And finally, towards those in our community who are unchurched, who are not part of the church, let's not throw stones at them. Let's not be that, that, those people who say, be like us and then you can join us. That was not how Jesus approached, approached this. His approach was, I'm going to come and be with you. Today, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for tea. I'm going to come and hang out with you because I know that when I hang out with you, the Holy Spirit can do that miracle inside you. When I'm with you, and, you know, and you'll want to change, you'll want to do what's right. But actually, that's not going to start or stop me having a relationship with you. I'm just going to be with you. Let's approach life in these three ways like that. And when we do, we can be a church where the Holy Spirit rules, the Holy Spirit reigns. We let the Holy Spirit do what he's going to do. We do what we have to do, which is be united. We'll see fruit from that. We can be these attitudes into BCC, and we'll see what Jesus prayed come to fruition. Amen? Amen. And then we're going to sing uh, right now, Shagan. King of my heart. Let's do this. Let's stand.